Hi, listeners. This is from Ideology to Unity, and I'm here with Gary Hartley from the podcast By the Chalkboard. Hi, Gary. How are you doing? Hi. Oh, I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me on. So, what's your background and how did you end up setting up your podcast? Wow. Um, pieces at a time just started coming together to uh, push me to doing it. I, I could never imagine doing this five years ago. I was a very shy, insecure person most of my life and uncertain of just about everything. Very hesitant to do anything. But the last, especially last three or four years of my life, it just completely changed to the point where I love conversations. I seek them out. And uh, the chalkboard itself is, is to me, um, a very interesting story because I moved a year ago into a, a single-story apartment complex here in Abilene, Texas. And I didn't know any of my neighbors. And after being here for a few months, I still didn't know most of the people who lived around me. And I like to know and have conversations with the people I live next to. Right. Last spring, this idea just rose up within me to get a chalkboard, to sit outside uh, with my chalkboard in the evenings, which I would sit out there anyway. Um, uh, sometimes I would smoke a cigar or read the news on my tablet right outside my apartment complex or my apartment here, but to get a chalkboard and write something positive about life and encouraging on my chalkboard. So I put out a call on Facebook to any friends that I had. Hey, does anybody have a chalkboard? Sure enough, somebody had one that had been in storage for years. It's kind of old and beat up and perfect. And I got me some chalk, sat out there and started writing on my chalkboard. All you had to do and was ask, right? Yes, I asked and it came. And... I've had some of the most remarkable experiences and conversations because of this chalkboard outside my apartment um, that I, I absolutely treasure just because of reaching out in, in that way, man, I've made connections. I know every single one of my neighbors now that live right either next to me or close in within walking distance, every one of them have stopped by at some point and we've had a conversation. Yeah. How many of us don't really talk to our neighbors? How atomized we get in our society. But if we put the effort in, right, it's not that hard. And your story shows that. Yeah, to do something. And I'm really thankful that that idea came because it was effective in ways that I, I couldn't even imagine. And... Now, now several of my neighbors, I have really good relationships with them, like trusting, uh, you know, friend relationships, not just conversations like, hi, I see you and know you. No, this is, some of them are, are, you know, friends now. And I love that. And that's what this world needs. And, and that's my purpose and desire with this chalkboard now, which led into doing a podcast named by the chalkboard. 
um, to do the same thing, just reaching out uh, in a in a new and different way through audio and video to you know anyone in the world. Right, and uh, so it's about human connection for you. Yes, very much so, very much so, because especially in the last six months, there's been and there's been uh, a dramatic decline in that because of all these lockdowns and suicide rates have gone up. Uh, loneliness has increased depression because people have been isolated. And here in Texas, we haven't had it near as difficult as some places, but it's still been difficult for people. And that was just my um, I was about to use the word attempt, but it wasn't, it's not an attempt. That, is, that was my um, expression of life to reach out to people, to try to encourage them and to uh, lift them up and value them as human beings. Right. So you mentioned that a few years ago, you went through a sudden change. What precipitated that change internally or yeah, that change you went through? wow um i don't know i don't know how things come in my life sometimes they is like the chalkboard i didn't come up with that idea i didn't read it it just kind of showed up one day in in a thought or within me um how did that show up i don't know i listened to it that was the important thing yeah intuition Um, yeah yeah when they call it your gut. I call it my heart. It's as if it comes from my heart. And the only way I can explain it is it's like a voice that comes from within me, not from my mind, because my mind is my intellect and it can just make up any kind of story and memory and muddle stuff up really quickly. Um, It's as if it comes from my heart. And when I begin to listen to that that voice, that indication, whatever you call it, uh, and give it my attention, it just seemed to have very direct guidance. And uh, that 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 would uh, that would guide me, I'm trying to find the right words, it would guide me in the right direction in life to show me what I needed to see. And it's available for all of us, if only we just listen. It has to be. There's a connectivity between everything that exists um, that, that, that binds us together in a way. It, it has to be that way. Um, How do you suggest? It, sorry. Go, no, go ahead. I, I, I'm, I'm trying to find words sometimes in how, how to explain these things the way I see them. But um, that's okay. But I'm just, how would you suggest people get more in touch with that inner voice? In order to hear, in order for a student to listen to the teacher, the student must be still and be quiet. If the student is not still and quiet or does not learn to be still and quiet, how can the student hear the teacher? To me, in my experience, this is the this is the essence of listening, is learning to be still and to give my attention 
to listening. I had to learn to be still. When I began to learn to be still, which really started 10 years ago in 2010, when I started meditating for the first time in my life, things begin to happen, unexpected things. And those unexpected things for me ended up being dreams. Two uh, weeks so it after, started with me. Yeah, it started with a dream for me before anything else. Yeah, carry on. Yeah, and what happens in other people when they start meditating, I don't know, but I can relay my experiences that I started having really profound dreams and I would remember them completely when I woke up. Would you be willing to share any of them? I will share. I'll share my first one. Okay. My first one I had in 2008 and I wrote it down because it was so remarkable. I had never had a dream like that, but I knew it was so important that I wrote it down, but it wasn't until 2010 that it started becoming more consistent after I meditated, but it wasn't two. it was two years before that. So in my dream, I was standing at the base of a very large cliff that went up, you know, a hundred feet or more. And at the top of the cliff, there was this flat plateau. And these people started coming to the edge of the cliff. I'm looking up at them. They started coming to the edge of the cliff, throwing a rope over and began climbing down ropes. But they, every one of them would slip off the rope and fall all the way to the ground. And then more and more people started coming. Same thing, trying to climb down these ropes and then they would slip and fall until there were hundreds of people doing that. Oh, damn. And in front of me, there was a pile of bodies that continued to grow up and up and up from all these people falling. And then in my dream, it was as if I zoomed in to this one person. There was this girl coming over the, the, the edge of the cliff on the rope. She slipped off the rope and was falling. And the look on her face was not of fear. It was of confusion. As if she didn't know why she was falling. And then here I am again in the panoramic view, zoomed back, watching her fall. She hit the pile of bodies, let out a cry, rolled all the way down near me, and I ran over to her. She's laying on her back, looking up at the sky. I'm looking at her eyes, and I can see the life going out of her eyes. And I started praying internally to to Jesus, Jesus about this girl and I watched the life go out of her eyes and I'm staring at her eyes. And then a second later, she blinked her eyes and then she sat up, stood up. She was alive. So that dream showed you, you can tell me what it shows you. Well, how do you interpret it? I don't know. Sometimes I have these profound dreams like that. And at the time I didn't have any experience with, looking at my own dreams as if they meant something to interpret them. It was just a profound thing. Some of my dreams come with interpretation when I wake up that one. I still don't, 
I still don't have a, you know, a, if there was a meaning to it that was profound, I don't know. Maybe it has something to do with this very thing I'm doing now. <laughs> you know, the world is full of people who are slipping and falling off the cliff in confusion, not knowing why, even falling to their death. And even if I had been watching this for so long, eventually there's going to be that one person that I'm, I'm going to help. And they're going to, you know, live in a, in a, an abundant and vibrant way. Right. But you don't do it yourself. You ask for God to help you. Yes. Which is the only reason I'm here today because I spent years doing that. So was were you religious lost. at the time of the dream? <clears throat> yes. And, and to use that term, the way I would use it, I was more religious back then. Right. Uh, in some ways than I am now, because I was still somewhat stuck in, in uh, following doctrines and traditions mm. that I grew up with in Christianity. Um, I was, but I was still really searching for things. I was really deeply searching for something. I didn't know what I was looking for. I just knew something was missing in my life and I had to find it. Does that make right. sense? It's when you just don't know yeah. what you're looking for, but you're looking for something that's not what you're experiencing right now. I got to have something different than this. I don't know what it is, but doggone it, I'm going to start right here and I'm going to start looking. Yeah, I I mean, I was very into much into political theory and I was looking for the, I guess, the perfect system of government or the perfect theory to explain everything and i kept moving from one to another um trying to refine my model to explain things but it, it never really seemed to get me there and the big question was why right so i started developing this trying to develop an ethical system that was devoid of god just like how do we work it out and it'd be logical. And this is all heavily sort of left brain focused stuff without like this, the other side of me, I guess. No, I suppose there was a creative side to it, probably. But it is when I discovered, um, I suppose you could call it new age or when I discovered spirituality um, and the idea of this, everything being pan panpsychism or pantheism everything being connected that sort of idea when it clicked and actually it's like wait a minute this actually when it started to make sense to me yeah I, that was the beginning of a higher meaning coming into my life but it took a while before i knew how i wanted to um direct myself towards higher meaning and purpose right so yes. we're well knowing that there's more but if you want to know how you're going to serve a higher purpose that's another issue and then if you've got if you've developed habits over years that are holding you back and no longer serve you it, it can take time to change I mean, you can change it all at once, potentially. 
but that requires quite a shock to the system and um, maybe hallucinogens or something. You know, you said habits that we tend to treat habits that we've had a long time, like Gollum treated the ring in Lord of the Rings. Oh, yeah, yeah. My ring is my precious. I'm not letting go of this. I'm going to keep it and, and clench it and hold it to me. This is my habit, you know, and to let go of it. You know, you think this is your life. What am I going to do without this habit that I've had for so long? But man, letting go of those things and learning to do that um, just opens up a greater aspect of life. You don't lose anything. You you gain a greater perspective yeah. on yourself and your abilities and your your connection to to everything that exists. Yeah, and it's not just things like okay, stop smoking. Like, I mean, okay, sure, that could be great. But like, you have other habits maybe you're argumentative and your pride get in the way or maybe um or maybe maybe even you put others above you too much maybe but what were your bad habits what would you say that got underway bad habits um Probably, if I was just look back honestly, laziness was was a habit, um, perhaps even a hobby. Why? Um, pursuing thing. I, I spent time just chasing after a lot of hobbies. I'd become interested in something and bam, I was off down that rabbit trail chasing it. I wanted to learn this. I wanted to learn that. I'm going to buy this so I can learn it. Um, that was a habit that I... It took me years to step back from and go, you know what? I think I'm going to have one hobby. I'm just going to do one. I'm going to get rid of all my hobbies except one and just enjoy one hobby instead of have 50, you know, hobbies that I don't do except once. <laughs> yeah, because I'm not really doing them. No, exactly. Not really I, any of them, even though you're doing all of them. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't do all of them. So having one is a much simpler way to live. And it, it sure opened up uh, a lot more opportunities in my life to do things like podcasting. I mean, you could say it's lazy to sit there with a chalkboard and expect me to come to you and talk to you, but it seems to have transformed your life. Yeah. Lazy has nothing to do with whether your body is moving. We tend to equate it with physical motion, but it has nothing to do with that because you can be very physically active and be lazy, or you can be not physically moving at all and be very active so because what your, is it? What your is attention it? is on something. Because it, people talk about it a very simplest way. You're lazy. The solution is don't be lazy. And I don't think that really helps people who struggle with applying themselves. No, because we tend to equate it, at least in my experience of life, with with doing something physical. Like you're not moving, you're sitting there, and that means you're lazy. Well, sitting there doesn't mean you're lazy. Lazy means you're not giving your attention to something that's happening right now in life, right now. Because meditating and sitting still, which is essential to learning, um, is not a lazy activity. It's a very attentive activity. You have to yeah. keep your attention on what you're doing in that moment 
in order for meditation to have, you know, a, a positive effect on your life. If you decide to meditate and you, and during your meditation, you're, you know, drinking beer, eating Cheetos and watching Netflix, you're, you're active, <laughs> but your attention's not on your meditation. So it's really about attention. It's a hundred percent about attention. It has nothing to do with how much you're physically moving. You are can be you distracting it or are you focusing on simply being present or, or simply, you know, being present in a task being done or being present just with reality. And so here we, we've come to meditation, right? So for you, if you could give some key pieces of advice about how to meditate and why, how it helps from your experience, what do you say? When I began, I, I kind of followed a method. There's a lot of methods or forms to teach meditation. I think the most important thing for me is, and the most important thing I would tell someone is don't just try to follow the form because you'll express this the way you express other things in your life in, in a unique way to you. It's going to be different for you. You can follow the exact same form that somebody else is following and a master of meditation teaches. It's still going to be expressed in a unique way because you're a unique individual. So don't think that following a form of meditation is going to get you anywhere because it's not about the form. It's about the attention. It's about putting your attention where it needs to be. That's what the form teaches you. The form of meditation um, almost always teach you to be still. That's always a, that's always part of meditate of the meditation that involves sitting is learning to be still. Then there's breathing. Yes. And breathing. Is there a form to breathing? Yeah, kind of, but it's still unique to you because your, your breathing is, is not exactly the same as mine. Your attention is a little bit different when you're looking at your breathing than it is with me. It's well, similar because our bodies are shaped the same way, but it's going to be slightly different because your perspective in the universe is different. So learn the form, but once you begin practicing the form, you start developing it in a unique way to you. So the important thing is um, simply giving your attention to something like breathing or sitting still or even an activity. You can be very active and still be meditating. Yeah. So I find that it helps to slow it down. Um because then apparent there is evidence that lots of shallow breaths is more related to being stressed and deeper breaths it calms you down. Yeah, that seems to be the case. And and if you just look at your own life when you're doing that, that seems to be the effect when you begin to breathe slower and deeper and pay attention to it, it it calms things down. So are there any emotions or feelings that if you focus on, you find they help? I have found that 
giving my attention to every emotion that rises up is helpful. Right. Because a lot of my life, I would suppress my emotions or deny my emotions or uh, recoil at some of the emotions that would rise up. When I began to learn that, uh, you know, true surrender means to allow those things to happen, accept that they're there and give yourself an opportunity to look at them yeah. without judgment. I used to just, you know, make these judgments about them. Oh, that was an awful emotion. I don't want that yeah. emotion. Stuff it down. Stuffing it down doesn't work. But when I began to look at those things, when they rose up and go, okay, I see, I feel that emotion to sit still with it. Oh, look, that's affecting this part of my body. And I feel it rising up and my heartbeat is going faster. And I feel anger or frustration rising. I see it. When I began to learn to do that, boy, it just completely changed my, I changed the whole aspect of my life because now emotions didn't become my enemy and not my friend. It's just an aspect of life that, that happens. And I can look at it in a way that um, doesn't require me or doesn't, doesn't trigger some kind of, uh, you know, bad or negative response. I'm not responding. I'm not uh, reacting to it. There's the word. I don't react to emotions. I can sit and I can sit with them and then respond the way that I feel I should respond. Yeah. So that reminds me of something. So there's this YouTube channel called the journey where it was the way it was described with dealing with your emotions is that when you sit with them, you actually sit with them is that it's like, think of it like your emotions are your children. And if you sit with them and spend time with them and treat them with respect and love and tenderness, you you're taking care of, you know, they, they grow in a healthy way. Whereas if you ignore them, they might start misbehaving and causing a ruckus. And it might be hard for you to focus because well, like your kids are causing a ruckus, right? And they might develop in unhealthy ways. And that might mean the family as a whole, which would be your psyche, would be, well, in a mess. And if you, if you distract yourself from spending time with them with drink, obviously you're not parenting them. Whereas if you're not detaching yourself from drink, you're not dealing with your emotions, you're just distracting yourself from them, right? So, and it's not just that, there's all sorts of addictions or distractions and um, overly egoic behavior, I suppose, where we're just not allowing ourselves to take care of our own emotions, take care of ourselves. I, I feel that that was a really that he the way he put it really clarified it in a helpful way, because that's a better way to understand shadow work really is that take care of your emotions like they're your children what do you think yeah the only way to have a good relationship with your children is simply to pay attention right 
you have to pay attention to them, pay attention to what they're saying, pay attention to what they're doing, get involved. If you don't pay attention to them, yeah, they run rampant. You have no idea what's happening. Suddenly they run across in front of you screaming and you're shocked out of your little world going, hey, what, what are you doing? What's happening? You could be like, <laughs> and, quiet, stop. Yeah. Why are you doing this? Yeah. Yes. Uh, and how does that work when, when your emotions, if you treat your own emotions that way, like quit it, stop. Ugh. How effective is that? Well, that's not going to work very well. But if you, no, not so. you treat it the way in a, I can't see in a respectful way, but in a, just a step back way. Okay. I'm going to look at all this with no judgment. If you do that with your children, they can come up with that, whatever they want, say whatever they want, but you still treat them with love and respect. Boy, that resonates with them in a completely different way than, uh, you know, yelling at them or treating them harshly or questioning them harshly. And somehow that works very similarly with, you know, the way our emotions run. So how would you, t what could you tell people about what you've got out of meditation from doing it consistently? Well, a couple of things, I think one, what, what opens up in your life uh, through meditation is unexpected. I didn't know I was going to start dreaming the way I dreamed after I started meditating. And I know a few other people that have similar experiences where they started meditating and a different aspect of their life opened up. They were unaware of not, not the same as mine. Huh. It's different for people who knows what's going to happen. So that, that is definitely one thing that came from meditation. The other thing is, um, even what we just discussed, being aware of looking at um, emotions, my thoughts, looking at every single thought that arises, the only way to do that is to be still and give it my attention. But every single thought that arises in your mind, you can look at it. If you're still, you can step back and go, okay, I see that thought. Oh, I see this thought. I see that thought. Realizing that, um, is a, was a result of learning meditation, sitting still and just looking, not looking at anything particular, just looking to see what I could see. That helped me give my attention to my thoughts, my emotions. When I'm willing to do that, I don't always do that still. Um, sometimes they run rampant and I have to stop myself, go, okay, <laughs> I'm reacting to that rather than yeah. looking Responding. at it. But but if you start meditating and just sit still and give your attention to your breathing and then keep doing that, something will open up in your life, but you have no idea what, and, and I don't either, but I know it will change your life for the better simply by giving your attention on your breath. Yeah. And when things come up, it's okay. It's not, a, it's not like you're not meditating properly. If you're negative, if negative emotions come up or you get distracted by something or, and something comes, you start thinking about this thing the other day, let it come up, recognize it and then let it go again. Now I'm, you may well know already have meditated before you might have been more experienced than us too, but uh, 
definitely. Yeah, it's um, it can really enrich our lives. For me, like, there's just it allowed me to really appreciate in a visceral way that I'm not my thoughts, because when you when you've done a bit of meditation and you feel that mindfulness, and then another time you might get anxious and you start having if you're having intrusive thoughts you're feeling like there are thoughts coming at you ex from the external to you that you don't like and want to stop. And then they might carry on happening. And you're like, okay, so are there a different part of me? Or it's someone sending it to me, which is a bit of an odd idea. Or I'm not my thoughts. And I'm simply the observer. And when you realize that, when you really realize that, not just intellectually, but when, you, when it clicks into place, it's a liberation because you don't need to be held hostage by all the thoughts, negative thoughts you can't come up with, or necessarily even the, the feelings. Like you, you choose how you respond. Like, there's this other thing, a lesson I learned previously too, where I used to get into arguments. I used to be attached to the outcome of how it would finish, like not necessarily winning, or it might be that, but also concluding it in a way that I wasn't afraid of, in a way that because I was afraid of it going a certain way or not being resolved or whatever, what have you. And when I learned to accept that or accept the criticism or accept the disagreement and not try to change it, just accept it, that really helped. Because hmm. it's, um, yeah. It's When you become aware, like you said, not from, not from the intellect, not from reading books, not from listening to someone, not from watching videos, but from your own experience, when you become aware that you are not your thoughts, that is hugely liberating because then your thoughts become like your hand. If you just look yeah. at your hand, you can do anything you want to with it. I can do anything I want with my hand. I just have to give it my attention. If I give my attention to my hand, I can control it exactly as i want to you can do the same thing with your thoughts yeah you so it's like sa same thing imagine if alien hand syndrome was normal right because that's what it would be like but it's instead of it's more like alien mind syndrome but it's only because you think you're your mind right if you realize that you're not you're observing your thoughts and you're having a temporary experience. Well, you don't even need to believe that. You just believe that you're the observer part of of your psyche. That, yeah, it's suddenly you can you can influence how you act in a way that isn't simply a reaction. Because when it's your when you're reacting, other people are to blame, and you don't have responsibility. Other people are doing this to you, making you feel all these horrible ways. And how dare they make you feel that way by doing what they did? 
But and you, well, you're not responsible, right? Because you didn't choose to feel that way. You just feel it, and they did it, so it must be them, right? When you realize you don't have to feel a certain way, you can choose. You don't have to associate with those thoughts or feelings. Yes, it's it suddenly you can behave better and respond better with other people and potentially not get in altercations and not get in negative situations or at least not make them worse when they come your way and that's really valuable not just it's valuable for human connection as well because you might you know your best you could make the best friend of your life or you could never make that friend because you were too caught up in your mind and reaction, reaction, you know? Hmm. I think it's a good, this is a good opportunity to, to explain it in a way that was explained to me that really helped me understand it. All right. Um, you have a pair of shoes. Yes. How is it that you have a pair of shoes? Now you have a pair of shoes because you bought them, right? Or another way to say it is you gathered them to you. But what you gather to you is not you. It would be okay for you to tell somebody, I have a pair of shoes. But it wouldn't be okay to, to tell somebody, I am a pair of shoes. <laughs> no, you, you are not a pair of shoes, but you have a pair of shoes. You are the wearer of the shoes. What is this thing that that walks around the meat sack? This 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 meat sack you have. This is a body. Well, what is a body? Now, the body is just gathered food, right? It's just food you've gathered. It's really just dirt from the earth. Uh, it's just borrowed. One day you have to give it back. Um, but it's it's just food you've gathered. How does it grow? This body you have today is not the same one you had five years from, from five years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, different body. It's food you've gathered. What you gather to you is not you. So you are not this body. You have a body like the shoes. You are the wearer of this body. But because you have to give it back one day, return it to the earth, you are not this body. You just are the wearer of this body. Likewise, what you were speaking of a few minutes ago, your thoughts, your memories, your experience, you are not your experiences because you gather experiences. You gather memory to you. You are the wearer of the experiences, but you are not the experiences. I am not that experience. Now I had that experience. I wore that experience. I'm wearing it right now, but I am not that experience. I am not that memory. I am not that piece of information that I gathered to me because isn't that in my experience and awareness, that's what the intellect is. That's what the yeah. mind is. It's gathered information. When if I gathered it, if I gathered it to me, it's not me. True. And I remember and for people, you get this thing coming up with people who don't believe 
that they're more than their intellect and their memories and all of that. And it, atheism is very common um, these days. And it's understandable given how we've, the society we've brought up and what we've been taught. And there's this idea that, I mean, I remember when I, I got afraid that when I went to sleep, it's death and that the me when I wake up is not continuous, the same continuous experience and might not be me. Now, I could never prove that one way or the other, but from the perspective, an, a secular perspective of you are your experience, not your, not the observer, but you are the actual experience, it can actually be quite stark and quite scary if you really think about what it means and what yes i i it there has been many times over the last especially the last three years where something would come to me and it i would just tremble inside thinking wow i i i'm aware that i am looking i am seeing this i'm observing all this happening but I don't know who the one looking is. Yeah, who is the one looking? Existential. I don't know. Someone's looking. I'm aware of. I'm aware. I'm looking. But who's looking? When when things like that come to me, it it, it was, I was literally trembling. I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> There's nothing in my experience that I remember that's helping me with this right now. It's not a terrifying thing. It's just a shaking thing. Yeah. I wasn't scared. It just, it was like it was shaking something loose that really needed to be loose. Yeah. But I was unfamiliar with operating with that memory or intellectual, uh, that part of my intellect being shaken that way. Yeah, that that's similar. Although I had to admit like, you had you had religion as a sort of something to fall back on at the very least then or spirituality like to a lot of people there's this idea that death is the end of it all and all we are is these memories and like the people talk about being cryogenically frozen and things like that all these desperate escapes because really there's not really a meaning and a purpose to the life and it's even when you consider making the world a better place what all they can really come up with is less suffering which is a noble goal in its own what right but it's just so people can cope with existing easier like it's no wonder there is the philosophy if you could call it that or there's a philosophy where they believe that humanity should go extinct so that a no humans would go through the suffering of existence and b no animals would go through the suffering inflicted by humanity so it's a cell it's a human hatred it's about it's a sort of self-hatred of our own species and this idea of i can't remember what it's called it's anti-natalism that's it and this is something that could only emerge in such a godless or spiritless age which we've come to. I mean, people call it the Enlightenment, but in a way, it's the opposite. Like it, we ended up 
we've got all this technology, but we're more miserable than we've ever been. Hmm. Yeah. yeah see, it seems to me that if there is something called enlightenment, that uh, it, it should walk hand in hand with joy and peace and prosperity and goodwill toward men. Those things seem to go together. In my experience, they do go together. Um, my enlightenment, if that's what you want to call it, um, I, I don't know if I would phrase it that way because I feel like for me it's incremental every day that, yeah. that something keeps opening up um, has always resulted in it some <clears throat> in some fashion of greater peace, greater joy, greater connectivity with other human beings. Um, at the time I was going through things, it always seemed like there was greater suffering, uh, greater conflict, greater challenges. But what resulted from that was always um, something that arises beautifully from my heart. If there's such thing as enlightenment, it must have uh, something to do with bettering ourselves and bettering this world so people can live in a way that their life improves. Yeah. And we've got to come together with other people to through real connection, like what you're doing. You have that to. Out. We can't just have this perfect formula. And I was thinking, we'll go more into politics, how we, these this sort of mentality, our mindfulness can be applied to politics later, but it's this idea that if we if we can be more mindful about in this way actually i need to get my thoughts here <laughs> i had this idea of what i was going to say so um we don't know what the perfect formula is our intellect can't come up to come up with that perfect formula we can search for it as to what the perfect system of government is how what sort of ideology is the best and we can argue about it too at length people do that you can even fight over it but something i've been coming to recently is this idea that it doesn't matter what system we have if we're stuck in ego and stuck not even if we're stuck in reaction to things not even mindful of what that what we're reacting to is that we're responsible for how we respond and not everyone else right if we're not taking care of our own psyches, not meditating, not spending time with any creativity, a lot of us are just constantly stimulated, whether it's work or some film or computer games or what have you. And if we could just be present more, yeah, there's no Any such thing. system could yeah, work. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Go ahead. Yes, any it's what you said. There's no there is no perfect formula. Because imagine somebody saying, Well, there's a perfect formula in how we're supposed to enjoy the sunlight. <laughs> 
yeah <laughs> there's a perfect formula and how you should enjoy being at the beach and swimming in the ocean but you just no. you can sit on the lounger at a certain angle relative to the sun and then you can keep moving incrementally there's nothing <laughs> it's it's unique to your expression of life there is no formula there's no how there's no how you exist how do you exist do you know how you exist no here you are suddenly you you become aware here i am i'm walking around in a body here on this earth how did i get here i have no idea i have no clue what happened i didn't seem to have anything to do it do about it and apparently i had no say in the matter because i got this body in this situation <laughs> um how did that happen i don't know well if I don't know how that happened, how do, can I direct anything that happens here? You know, I'm aware of this aspect of life, but there's no formula. It's, it's the beauty of exploring and expanding and looking at all the possibilities that enhance your life in a way that you see greater things, you experience greater things, you make greater connectivity, but there's no formula for it. But you do have to step out. You do have to take risks and be bold and say, you know what? I'm not going to live this way anymore. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know how to do it. But here we go. I'm taking a risk. I'm stepping out. And, and you, you've got to do that with your connectivity with the people that live around you um, and strike up conversations and take those risks that you're going to be rejected, that somebody's going to say no. And people, not everyone will. You'll be surprised, but we have to do that to make this world a better place. And you and I are doing that with, through these podcasts. Yeah. And sometimes that no, whatever it is, might be a good thing, potentially. You don't know, the things, when we take a step back, or sometimes we might not take a step back, we might be experiencing something we find very unpleasant, and we might be able to reflect on it later and be like, that actually led me in a positive direction. Especially if it's, it might take you out of your comfort zone. Like someone I talked to earlier, someone I, re I recorded an episode with earlier, um, they were saying that what led to them going on a spiritual journey was actually their mother dying. Now that's a tragic thing, but something shaking you out of your comfort zone can sometimes be once you're there it can be a catalyst for you changing up how you do things so that you can find perhaps a more harmonious way of living and it or just a better way of acting or what have you Oh, yeah. Yeah, if you take this is a good way to explain it. Um, one of the things I'm really focused on in my podcast is helping men who are going through a midlife crisis. And this is the foundation of what I am bringing to that. This is this is the basis that when something is going wrong in your life, you're aware of that something's not right. Don't try to change anything because when you're trying to change something, you don't know what's wrong. 
when men change things, we want to go get, a, you know, the right size wrench and the right size bolt and nut. And then now it's fixed. But when something needs to be changed in your life, do you know how to fix it? Do you really know what's wrong? We don't know what's wrong. You're observing the effect of what's wrong. You're observing the, the symptoms of what's wrong and you want to observe a different effect. So instead of trying to change something, add something of value to your life. When you add something of value to your life, what needs to change, it will change it naturally. If you add something of value to your diet because you want to feel better, you want a different experience. If you add something of value to your diet, do you have to change your body? No, your body will take that value that you've added to your diet and change it for you. It, it's a natural process. Right. So if your body works that way, what makes people think that any other aspect of the human being works differently? Because it works the same way. If you simply add something of value to your life and don't try to strain to change and fix something, that value will change what needs to change and you will watch it happen. Okay. What about taking something out of your life? Because sometimes you might have a particularly detrimental thing that you do or have in your life that, I mean, then there's the issue of, do you replace it with something else or how do you adjust to it being gone? But sometimes, yeah, I, I find that it can be adding something or it can be taking something away or, or it could be just transforming something into something else in your life. Yeah, to me, there, there must be something in that space. Just getting rid of something, in my experience, doesn't help when there's not something that... Um, is going to, in a sense, replace it. When I just focused in my life, and this is just coming from my experience, when I just focused on what I thought needed to change, trying to get rid of it, I was, I was straining with effort. But when I started focusing on, okay, I'm going to add this value to my life. I'm going to start doing this. What needed to go away from my life, bad habits, bad behaviors, whatever it is, or things I was unaware of, they started dissipating on their own Oh, because you know, that, that's something was, something was displacing them. For me, trying to focus on what was wrong never really worked at all. But when I started adding something of value to my life, those things started correcting themselves. Yeah. yeah. And so I was watching it happen. Because it, it's something positive that is appealing and brings value to your life. And, if you know that it's bringing value to your life, you will have an incentive to make the necessary sacrifices for bringing that thing into your life. So you've only got a certain amount of time in your life, in your day, and you want to bring in meditation, let's say. This is a very obvious example. Uh, suppose you decide you want to meditate for half an hour a day. So you might have quite a busy schedule. So you might have to take out some time watching TV or something else that you don't really need to do, but you just do it because you can. And it doesn't necessarily bring much into your life. You're just used to doing it. 
you know, flicking on the TV or you could meditate. And that's just one example. There's plenty of other things like. But if you do that, you will want to take stuff out of your life for the positive thing. But if you just take something negative out without value being brought in, it's harder. Like it really is. And I really think about it. I have taken things out of my life that weren't helping. But when I've done it, I've been bringing something in. When I've really succeeded, it's been when I'm bringing something in at the same time. So you've got a point there. That's a good point. Yeah, it's simply adding something of value. And it can be the most minute thing, or you think it's a very minute thing. You know, from my my uh, Christian upbringing, there's a lot of illustrations, you know, from the Bible that are really, really fantastic. And one of them as where Jesus is talking about how small a mustard seed is. It's this tiny seed, the smallest among seeds. But once it's planted and grows, it grows into this, you know, really huge bush and, or tree um, that, that the birds nest in. That if you add something of value to your life, don't assess it as if it's big or small, because you really don't know. If you add just this moment of one little thing, simply being thankful in the morning for a minute, 30 seconds, you may think, oh, I'll give that 30 seconds. That 30 seconds is, is a huge step in your life. That's a huge yeah. thing. That's a mustard seed. You have no idea how big that's going to grow because it, 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 it can take off and just flourish into this massive thing. And it's so easy, literally. In fact, that I'm going to start doing that. That does great. Like, I meditate in the morning, sure, but if you literally still in bed, you sat up 30 seconds just grateful for things in, in your life. Um, could be how you know the mother has taken care of you, could be certain luxuries you have in your life, or what have you. There's all sorts of things. You do that now, you might feel a bit better like one day, but if you do it every day, every single day. That multiplies, right? And you don't even know the full extent to what you, you have no idea how much that would bring us. Yes. So, if any, if you don't do anything like that, I, I would recommend it because even if it seems small and insignificant, like even before this podcast started, shortly before, because I was taking a break after having lunch and done and recorded another episode. I wanted to I wanted to meditate. So I just did a short I did a short gratitude meditation and it brought tears to my eyes. I didn't mm. expect it, it just came. And after that I was felt ready to go. So you've got a lot of things to do in your day. You're not sure if you can handle it. Do this, maybe you will be able to handle it. And what you'll, what, what's going to happen and this happened to me, and this is a very common thing that when I began to add Thanksgiving to my morning like that, just this very simple 30 second attention given to that, I found that it began to bubble up during my day. This same thing would just kind of rise with me. Oh, to be thankful right now, to be thankful right now. See, whatever you add a value to your life, it just increases 
the value of all your life in really unexpected ways for me. So add that thankfulness in the morning and you'll find that it starts rising up at different points of your day and just expands. And then your whole mental state changes, right? It did for me and it continues to, it constantly, you know, has improved in, in massive ways. Um, in unexpected ways. You told me, you told me that you used to be quite quiet. Oh, you would, when I tell people, they don't believe it. When I was a, a senior in high school, okay, a senior in high school, they passed around this piece of paper that uh, we were supposed to uh, write people's names in <clears throat> to vote for things like um, most likely to succeed and other questions. I don't remember any other question except this one. The question was most shy. And out of 155 graduating seniors from high school, I was voted most shy. I was extremely withdrawn and quiet for a very long time in my life and uncertain. And it's remarkable to me to look back at um, the transformation that's taken place, especially in the last few years, that I would sit here and do this, that I'm reaching out to people on my podcast I don't even know and never heard of that I've got, you know, scheduled upcoming here in the next couple of weeks. And I'm not even really nervous about it because I feel like it's just talking to anyone, to you. I could talk to you the same way I could talk to the president of the United States, really, because their life is no different than yours. It's no more valuable or less valuable than yours. And when I see people that way, what I'm speaking to is an equal value of life, not a human being based upon their gathered experiences. Yeah, you're, you're engaging with another soul. Yeah. That, that, makes, that makes a big difference. So if, we, if this sort of practice could be applied on a whole society not on a whole society but if we all could imagine what society could be like if we all were more allowed ourselves to be more present more grateful more mindful meditating even just a little bit well imagine what society could be like well we see Southeast Asia, I mean, in, in some respects, they seem happier because of, you know, they've got Buddhism and the like. I'm not going to say they're perfect, their society, but that's just a small example. But we could be way more beyond that. If we could really be present, not be stuck in our egos, and all of the things that we've been talking about. If everyone did this, if it was taught and normal for children to do this and everything. We have no idea how much more joyful and loving our society could be. And this might sound like hippie stuff, but there are real benefits that are very clear that not just that we can tell you about. Look, even you know, scientists have there's plenty of scientific evidence for this, and a quick Google search and probably you'd probably have to find something. 
So and we can have all this talk about this great awakening that's happening, but we don't really need this new age of Aquarius and this all this. We don't need all the very abstract side of spiritual awakening and this whole different density that we could move into and this, that, and that, and the other. We could simply just all teach each other to meditate, be mindful and be present and so forth. If we could make, if we could teach that until it's normal in our society, that we could have, I won't say utopia, but it would be so much better for everyone, like so much more pleasant for everyone. And I just, yeah, just really consider just if small things were done by everyone and taught by everyone that that could really transform society. Oh yeah. And it, when you, when you have a moment where you're with just one person and both of you are like that, isn't that pleasant? Just with oh, you yeah. and one other person, it's the most wonderful experience. I have come to this conclusion. I say it's a conclusion in my life that the only person I can ensure that becomes this way is me. I want to be this way. I want to be this way for myself. I want to be this way for a resource for other people that you've heard that described in a thousand different ways. I think it was Gandhi maybe who said uh, uh, something like you must become the change you want to see in the world. Yeah. I have to become this. I don't know if anyone else can or will, but I can. People will if I give it my attention, every, I want to make that change in the world, but it must be within me. I want to be aware of it here. I want that peace and joy here, not outside of myself. I don't want the conditions in the world to change where suddenly it's just more pleasant out here. I've had that already. That goes up and down. It wavers. The sun comes up. The sun comes down. It gets warm. It gets cold. It gets light. It gets dark. Yeah. I want that. I want that light here and I want it to stay there permanently. That's what I was searching for for many, many years of my life and didn't know what it was. If that comes here to me and pleasantness rises here, hey, now I can share that. And when I share it with someone, it increases in me and in them. So this is the life I know I can change. I can work on this one. And when I work on this one, I'm just confident and optimistic it's going to have a positive effect in this world. Because this kind of relationship where two people like you and I can sit down and talk about things like this and discuss ideas and enjoy the whole thing, whether we agree or disagree, and no matter what we're exploring, we have to be able to do that yeah. in order to grow as human beings, to uh, you know, expand our consciousness and become more aware of the light that's within us. Oh, yeah, yeah. And um, if we now consider this now, you know, if you could, if you could just take a few steps and turn that mustard seed into a tree where little birds can perch on and you know to transform your life and bring and treat your psyche you know the children in your psyche like treat your emotions better if you could bring order and 
a bit of inner peace to your life. Just imagine how your family would manage or those who are close to your friends. Just having you, your presence being more together, right? Having your life more together. Like that, that itself, you could just simply be, even as just some, this is a source of inspiration. Or potentially someone to ask advice for, you know. If you could, if people could benefit from you being there, like simply from you transforming your own life, that is that's amazing. And if you could suggest, and that that's enough. I mean, let alone suggest pointing. You know, pointing to how you've improved, and if other people are willing to drink from the same cup, so to speak, and reap some of the same benefits. I mean, that that's even that's a bonus, right? All you really need to do is bring inner peace to your own life through relatively simple means. It's it's very simple. Doesn't mean it's easy. Oh, but it's, it's simple. It's like looking at a mountain. How do you get to the top of a mountain? Well, it's simple. You climb. But it's not easy. <laughs> you, you've got to study and learn and collect things and and know what you're doing to a point and uh, you know have experiences and trust the experiences of other people who have climbed the mountain. Um. But as you as you gather experiences, uh, you you have a valid testimony of of those experiences, and you can share those with others who are going through similar experiences and help them on their journey, help them climb the mountain, if you will. Yeah, and um, each step you make makes it incrementally less you're not carrying so much of the weight on your shoulders of that which doesn't serve the more progress you make on that journey. And ultimately the journey is back to yourself because all of these in life, a lot of these things we've been taught that or what we've taught ourselves that get in the way of us being in joy and love in life every layer or every small thing we take off that's burdening us unnecessarily that's yeah that, that it gets easier yeah life is this life can be a playful joyful experience that's enriching for you and those around you. Just like when you're a kid playing with some other kids, having fun, playing hide and seek. I mean, life can actually be like that. They're more, they're closer to who they really are as playful souls than someone who's all serious and doing the nine to five potentially. 
Well, life is that way. Our imaginary, illusionary life that we've made up is not that way. But life is only that way. You mentioned a minute ago of something being in the way of peace and joy in our life. Well, when we can't see the sun, what is in the way? Well, it's just a little fog, right? Just some clouds. The sunlight's never changed. Peace and joy have never changed. There is eternal and as certain as the sunlight is to us on this earth. In our, in our perspective here on this earth, the sunlight is eternal. In our short time frame of life, we look at the sun as being eternal uh, for that illustration. But peace and joy are the same way. <clears throat> when we're not experiencing peace and joy, it's not like we're trying. You can't go collect it. You can't increase it because it would be like increasing the sun. Can you increase the sunlight? No. But you can notice it. The sunlight's the sunlight. As opposed to you can go outside and actually see the sun, and that might actually... Yeah, when something is blocking it and that becomes, that starts to dissipate, you become aware, oh, look, that peace, that joy, it's always been there. I was just unaware of it because something else was in the way. Autumn's nice, isn't it? I'm seeing all these um, these leaves blowing in the wind out the window. Mm. Yeah, the colors. Or do you got? Do you have good colors there when when autumn comes with in places? Yeah, it depends where you are. But uh, a week ago, just even a week ago, there was this tree outside the window. I can see that it was all yellow and golden yellow and and it was quite, quite nice. Hmm. Yeah, I love fall, even here in Texas, where we have some color. You know, this is almost a, a borderline desert in a way. Um, every plant has thorns on it. Right. But there are some things here that when they change color uh, can be quite beautiful. And a lot of the smaller plants, there are a few trees that have leaves that change color and uh, man, I, I really, I love that time looking at those shades changing, leaves falling off and, uh, the cooler weather coming, especially here is always pleasant in the fall. Yeah. If you consider that we're coming into winter soon, but after that, you always get the spring. Perhaps that's what's coming on earth. The seasons change and then the, the, next season comes around does that in life life is like this cycle that keeps on going keeps on moving and the more aware you become of it you realize that you're part of the flow of life you're flowing with it and sometimes it just changes direction sometimes it seems to go a little faster a little slower but you're part of this flow of life and it's a beautiful place to be is just to watch your own flow of life um, interact with other flows of life in a positive way. Yeah. So where do we go from here? We could talk more about dreams or we could apply it. We could talk more about the nature of reality if you like. So yeah, how would you, what would you say the nature of reality is? 
Wow. Well, as I said before, um, you know, I can really only speak from my experience of what I've witnessed to. Um, what is, what, what do I, what is the nature of, of reality? The only thing I know right now is it just, I don't know. It keeps expanding all the time. How do I describe it? I'm experiencing it. I don't have answers for that. All I know is that I'm, a, I'm, I'm the witness to it. And if I'll just give it my attention, there is something real about, I say real, it's about the aspect of love, life, joy, peace. There's, it's like those things have substance. You know, they're expansive. They're not limited. Something about life is not limited with those things. And you I'm aware allow. of that. What's that? Sorry, I was to say, like, we can have that if we just, the more we allow ourselves to, the less we limit ourselves. So I feel like that sums up suppose what we've been talking about and perhaps it's a good note to end this on is there anything you'd want to add before for people before we go it would only be one thing is that pursue life take your risk do something you haven't done if there's something that is rising within you uh, sit still and pay attention to it listen to it and Search things out. Search out everything you want to search out in life because what you're searching for, you'll find. And don't worry about where you're searching. Read, study, listen to people. Um, that's what got me to this place. I just didn't give up. I never gave up. I kept searching. Something was missing within me. I knew it. I didn't know what it was. Just don't quit. Keep going. Search and look and value your life and value the lives of others because that's the most important thing. If you value your life and value the life of others, what needs to come to you, it will do so. Right. Well, um, it's been great talking to you and uh, I hope you enjoy your day and same for you listeners. All right, Nick, blessings to you. Thank you so much for having me on. All right. Uh, bye then. All right. Bye-bye. <laughs>